Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today we are going to be continuing to take a look at the many aspects of church, and in this message we are going to look at the traditions of church. As we discussed in the message on the purpose of church, we see clearly that we, the believer, are the church, the real church, and not the building or the structure we worship in. And this message follows that up with what we do in our places of worship with regard to tradition. With that, let's take a look now at the many religious traditions there are that span centuries and right on back to the time of Jesus that we include in our time of worship. And the following are a few traditions that are most popular and the ones we will be studying today. First on our list, our houses of worship, the tradition of getting together in a very particular building. Second, the music, the tradition of musical elements in worship, whether it is singing, being sung to, or simply listening to instrumentals. Third, the sacraments or rites. That's the tradition of communion or the Lord's Supper, baptism, and perhaps we can include tithing and, in a number of various religions, confirmation. And fourth, the notable days of worship, the tradition of Advent, Christmas, Lent, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, Thanksgiving or Harvest Sunday, and perhaps All Saints Day and Reformation Sunday are by far the most popular days marked by special days of worship in most Protestant denominations. And this list, while only a fraction of the religious traditions there are, is fairly comprehensive in that many can relate to many of these and associate them as a proper part of proper worship, the things we just have to do or we are not in right standing with God. But do you even know the who, what, when, where, and why of any of these traditions? Have you ever considered carefully what you are celebrating and what you are participating in? Are you simply following blindly along year after year, decade after decade, and simply because it's been done as a part of worship and it is supposedly God-honoring because it's been done in worship for so long? And if something were wrong with any of these things, they wouldn't be done any longer and our parents would have told us so. And I myself, having been raised in a Protestant-leaning home and attending worship services most every Sunday of my life as a kid, I have very much followed blindly most of my life the so-called traditions that make worship just feel so right and proper. So how do we truly figure out what traditions are good, right, and God-honoring versus the traditions that people have put into place to feel better about themselves in hopes that God will look down with more favor? And we will begin our examination with the first category on our list, and that of the building, the structure of our places of worship, and what a tradition they are. Could it be that many of our places of worship are no more than a very expensive box, if you will, to hold all of our traditions and rituals? And many of us certainly do get into the look and feel of our houses of worship, and many of us expect there to be very particular objects in place to make it feel like a real church. And with that, most of us will fall into one of the following three categories on the subject. First, some like the little hundred-year-old quaint cozy country church with the little steeple with its lonely bell, along with its hand-planed oak floors and plain wooden pews. Some like the grand thousand-year-old majestic cathedral with towering steeple and bell tower, along with its hand-carved marble floors and intricately hand-carved mahogany pews. 
and some like the massive 10-year-old stadium worship centers with no bells, no steeple, and reclining seats complete with cup holders. And this gives us a pretty good picture of the three main types of spaces that we occupy each week and the spaces that suit just about everyone's needs and desires for the perfect experience to get right with God. But have you considered that in each instance, these three distinctly different places of worship are often very carefully crafted and specially designed to make a statement? And that statement is to put you in a particular mood and get you to react in a particular way. Sorry, folks, our places of worship are often built with the same architectural design in mind, just like our grocery stores, restaurants, and clothing stores. And yes, all to get you to like it better than the other place of worship down the road. It is just who we are as humans, and we love eye candy, and we love getting our things from good-looking places. And our places of worship are generally no different. What's the proof? Let's face it. I have heard one too many times of people church shopping. Wait a minute, you say, that was nothing to do with the building. That only has to do with what we are getting on the inside, like the message and the music and the programs and the childcare and the youth groups and the uncomfortable seats and the people. Okay, but most of that list is still all part of the entirety of the architecture, the stuff that was built and crafted to give you the experience. Precisely no different than a grocery store you don't shop at because the parking is difficult and it's not laid out the way you like it and they don't have all your favorite brands, and the lines are long, and the lighting is not right, and the music that's played is dismal. And crazy enough, even if the less-than-desirable grocery store is less expensive than your nicer store, we will often compromise and spend more just to have the more comfortable experience that makes us feel better. And this is how many of us shop for a place of worship. We look for a place of convenience with the right amenities and music, and often the message, the teaching, is second or third on the list of what is important. And there it is. We often look for a place of worship where we get what we want, but perhaps not often what we need. More proof? Not many of us would be okay with a house of worship that was nothing but four white walls, white ceiling and fluorescent lights with plastic folding chairs. No screens, no crosses, no sound system, no musicians, no altar, and no colored lights. And simply because that does not sound like one of the three categories we fall into of a proper place of worship. After all, we expect religious stuff around, and even if the teaching is excellent, it still probably wouldn't be acceptable. You see, we love our venues of worship to be just right, to feel religious and feel like we are doing something right, because the place has somehow been very carefully crafted with, of course, God in mind. And in each of these three architectural styles we have discussed, we, people, have decided what will be best to attract other people, and lots of them, to bring lots of wealth and prominence, and all to make the steeples taller, add an education building to the country church, and turn the stadium churches into cities unto themselves. With this in mind, could it be that our places of worship are our modern-day Towers of Babel? Our attempt to build our structures to heaven to reach God before the next place of worship does, and that our places of worship are at the pinnacle of proper worship, and our architectural masterpiece is really the right one to get the job done for the week. Not happy so far? Then do me a favor and find where in Scripture God calls us to build monument shrines to worship in. Now, is it bad to have a well-designed, well-kept place of worship? Not at all. 
And in fact, if we are going to build a place of worship, we are to do it with excellence, to the best of our abilities, because as we know from Scripture, that anything we do is to be done to the honor and glory of God. And to that you say, so having the gold-adorned ceilings and gargoyle columns and the best sound system and colored spotlights money can buy and multi-million dollar renovation projects, is God honoring after all? And that answer would likely be no. Because doing the best you can do does not mean you sacrifice God's resources on people-crafted traditions for the sake of kingdom work. So the questions we need to really come to terms with are, how will the building honor God? Does God expect us to spend beyond our means to build a place of worship? Does God call us to be in debt or constantly begging and pleading for money to start another fundraiser to build more and have more and get bigger and better? Does God call us to brag about the place of worship we build because it's beautiful and so good and so perfect and we truly have made it and are right where we need to be and really are the biggest and the best? Are these perhaps the real reason we build our towers and stadiums of worship? Are they places to be associated with, members of, and because it has a long-standing tradition, a long bloodline and deep roots in the community and is respected by the rich and famous? How many of our places of worship are we proud of, proud to call our place of worship, proud to be a dues-paying member of, and proud that we are known as influential families or individuals among the ranks at our place of worship? Are these the things and traditions that keep us going back for more? And these examples are all too often what makes up the places of worship around the world. And just like the many traditions of the world, the church, we, the believer, carry many, if not nearly every tradition with us when we look to develop our worship space and those we choose to be a part of. So ask yourself, are you perfectly okay to worship wherever, whenever, and with whatever you have? Are you perfectly okay with no music, no instruments, no gold and glitter, no heat, no AC, no youth programs, no childcare, no donuts, no coffee? porta potties in place of restrooms, and no high-tech AV equipment and banks of spotlights and cameras? Are you okay with a little budget that only affords one service and only volunteers to operate on Sunday and nothing else? And these are the big questions that put us in a category of whether or not our tradition is to honor God or honor self. And just like the Tower of Babel, they were indeed out to make a name for themselves, and indeed they did, just in all the wrong ways. And their tower, their place of connecting with God in a much closer way, was destroyed. Now let's move on to our next tradition, music. That crazy, controversial, stubborn thing that is such a thorn in the side of so many places of worship and so many people. And amazingly enough, we have the audacity to take issue with the first thing on our list that God actually calls us to do for him. And how dare we squabble over that? What are we thinking? Yes, God calls us to sing to him, sing praise to him joyfully. And this is a real, genuine, God-ordained tradition. He calls us to remember and take part of and to do. And that is to make awesome music in his name, singing his word, scripture, and prayer to him. And let's see what God's word has to say about it. Psalm 151 through 6 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. 
And that sounds like a symphony of music. Trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine, string, pipe, and cymbals. That sounds awesome. Sounds like an orchestra. You see, God is very interested in our music that is directed upward, directed to Him and Him alone, not directed toward us and what God will do for us. So what is the maddening issue with music and worship? Why do we fight over, quote, traditional or, quote, contemporary music and having to get away from, quote, traditional or old music or having music done this way or that? Why do some places of worship seem to think we need to abandon certain types of music because the words or melody are no longer relevant and that we need to change things up just to keep in line with society and the expectations of the world? And after all, traditions just keep changing over time, don't they? And this is indicative of exactly where our places of worship are headed today with God's Word in general. Ask yourself, are you looking for a place of worship that makes you feel good and has set the stage to be appealing and familiar? And this, by the way, goes for old music and new music. I'm not playing favorites here. Both traditional and contemporary styles of worship music can get very carried away with the direction the worship goes and the reason for doing it. Now we move on to the sacraments or the rites of the church, those things that we, the believer, are called by God to acknowledge in our time of worship that God tells us to keep alive and just as it has been done all along. And a review of our list of traditional sacraments or rites are communion or the Lord's Supper, baptism, and perhaps we can include tithing and in a number of various religions, confirmation. So what does God call us to focus on? Communion, baptism, and tithing. And that's it. But let's clear one thing up right away. Are these things necessary for salvation and a life with God in heaven? Absolutely not. God states only one thing is necessary to receive salvation and a permanency in the Lamb's book of life and an eternal life with God in heaven. And Romans 10.9 assures us of this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is behind the tradition of communion, baptism, and tithing? In brief, God called the believer to participate in communion regularly as a symbolic act of remembrance of what Jesus did for us from eternal separation from him. With regard to baptism, that too is a symbolic and public acknowledgement of our commitment to Jesus through salvation and the expression of our renewal of life in him. Yes, scripture does say, be saved and be baptized, but that is not always possible. And we know that one man in particular found in God's word received Jesus as Lord and Savior and was not baptized or took communion, but was ushered into heaven without a question. And that man was hanging on a cross next to Jesus the day our Lord was crucified. Not familiar with the story? I encourage you to look it up in your Bible. And tithing, another symbolic God-honoring act he calls us to, and certainly not under compulsion of any kind. God calls us to give freely and with joy and with a willing and open and desiring heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. These things are God's design, and we are called to keep these traditions He set for us and exactly as He set it. And now on to our final category of traditions, the notable days of worship. And let's review these again. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, 
Easter or Resurrection Sunday, Thanksgiving or Harvest Sunday, and All Saints and Reformation Sunday. And these are definitely getting into a major area of tradition, and it is also a list of things that are not even biblical. Yes, nothing that God ever called us to participate in or celebrate in at all. This is a list of people-crafted days or periods of remembrance. So let's take a look and see what we are really doing by taking time out and focusing on these specific moments in time and year after year. We will first cover the major days of remembrance we most often acknowledge in worship, that of Christmas, Palm Sunday, Easter, Good Friday, and Thanksgiving. All right, where are these in God's Word? Where does God call us to acknowledge these specific days we just read off? You got it. Nowhere. Nowhere in God's Word does He ask us to do any of this and to think these are the big ones we hold so close as necessary traditions. But again, God never asked any of this from us. So why do we do it? Why is it such a big deal? Why does it feel so right and proper and wonderful? Because, for the most part, it makes us feel good and worthy. Now, don't leave me quite yet. Let me put all this into context. Let me be very clear. I love to take time to recognize these days. But we need to put all these days into very careful context and for exactly what they are and that of people-oriented, people-crafted days. Yes, they are holidays. And we must understand these are the foundations of these traditional days. However, can we, the church, the believers, and our places of worship use these holidays to truly remember what our Lord and Savior has done for us and use them to share the good news of God? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. But how often do we really use these holidays as time to get into God's face with even more determination than the rest of the year? And herein lies the problem and the reason God never asked us to celebrate these days we put together, these holidays. And it is because we are, as believers, we are not called to live these occasions as a day or a yearly marker, but to live these, quote, special days out all year, every day. We shouldn't be coming to God to do special things on special days when it is indeed our very life, second to second, morning to night, and year to year. How often do we treat these special days of remembrance like Mother's Day or Father's Day when we take time out to somehow honor this person better on one day than all the others? Why, we even cheat ourselves by referring to Sunday as the Lord's Day. Does that mean Monday through Saturday are not His days? God did not do what He did through Jesus as a a one-day-a-year remembrance. We are to celebrate the birth of Christ and the resurrection every day. We as believers need to be celebrating our relationship in thanksgiving from His birth to His death day after day. And when our perspective is grounded in God, our daily life will radically change. Our temple will be filled with life and light and joy and peace that will radiate throughout the world with God's glory and goodness. And that is a tradition we must never forget. Is it okay to mark special days at a time of special remembrance? Yes, but the remembrance and the celebration must not have a start and stop date, a put it up and take it down date. It can't be marked by isn't this such a beautiful time of year attitude or wow, I love our Easter Sunday services. They are always so amazing. What's that you say? I thought we worship on Sunday because we are indeed recognizing the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Why doesn't every Sunday service then reflect that abundance of joy and excitement of what our Lord and Savior has done for us? As for our remaining days on the list, well, we've covered those by default through our discussion. 
All people-driven holidays that are focused on God do indeed have incredible opportunity behind them, but only if they are truly recognized as simply a tool we designed. Now let's review and wrap up our traditions in one box and put a bow on them. Our buildings. We need to keep these structures in the proper perspective. God did not ask for them to have a certain look and feel and did not request that we spend more money on the building than serving God with what He did ask us for. Do I love beautiful places of worship? I do for the most part, and I do like to worship in a nice space that is comfortable and pretty. Yes, I do, but not at the expense of sacrificing the Word of God to the world and helping those in need. Next, our music. This, in fact, is one of the elements of our message today that we are called by God to do. As we saw earlier, we are called to sing praise to the Lord, from us to Him and not the other way around. Does God care about the style of music? I believe for the most part, no, so long as we are not adopting worldly culture and branding it Christian to be relevant in hopes of being appealing and attractive. Next, our sacraments or rites. Just like our music, three of the four on our list we discussed are to be a part of our life as a believer. God specifically called us to regularly participate in communion, but only as one committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And baptism, again, only if you are certain that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, and not by someone else telling you you have, but only by you knowing you made a personal commitment to Jesus. In addition, we are also called to tithe, and not a certain percent, but called to give cheerfully with a completely willing heart. And finally, our holidays. Will I continue to celebrate and mark our holidays with a time of reflection? Yes, but not at the expense of waiting for the day to arrive in order to recognize it. Do these holidays have great opportunity? Yes, they do. Can they have a positive impact on the world? Yes. Is there anything inherently wrong with them? Well, yes and no. Yes, if they are used to get yourself in a special mood, but no, if they are simply a time to help you learn to reflect with even more determination year-round your life in Christ. Keep in mind, these are not my ideas. These are simply truths from God to us and directly from His Word. And as we can see, He really doesn't ask much of us. God really doesn't want much from us. He is a God who doesn't overload us with stuff because He knows we can't handle the little He does ask us to do. It is us who love the stuff to keep us busy, which only falsely leads us down a path of feeling as though we are really honoring and worshiping God because we are so busy doing things that have a Christian label attached to them. Don't get distracted. Keep focused on what God expects of us, the traditions He has set for us, which are just a couple, and no more, and no less, and celebrate every day all that God has done for you, born to die, life for death, light over darkness. Let's pray. Oh God, you are an awesome God. We give you praise and thanks for all you have done and all that you give. How blessed we are to have not been given more than we can handle if we follow you and what you desire of us. Thank you for your word of truth. Help us to see what it is that you do want of us and how we are to honor you in our worship, whether together or in private. Help us not to forget your sacrifice for us and that it is a sacrifice we are to remember constantly. Forgive us when we hunt the things of this world in an attempt to be relevant and accepted, 
Forgive us for not fully relying on you to direct your church. And forgive us for being so preoccupied with our agendas and all while attempting to make ourselves feel more in line with where we think you want us. Forgive us for often spending more of our resources on ourselves rather than using them to find the lost and help those in true need. And we now ask all of this in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In closing, please visit our website to read or listen to our future hope of launching an in-person place of worship in the Phoenix, Arizona metro area in 2024. And be sure to check back for updates on our progress on the website as well, as God directs this potential opportunity. Also feel free to email us directly from the Face Your Faith website should you have questions or comments.